everyone, Caleb Ojek here, and welcome to another episode of the DIY Video Guy podcast. In this episode, episode number 14, I talk with Chris Levine from Wistia. And Chris is the videographer at Wistia, and he's been there for a few years now. And Wistia is a web video hosting company that I use for my course videos. We use them at Fizzle to host all of the Fizzle uh, training library there, and I even have some clients that do some uh, hosting on Wistia as well. But the cool thing about Wistia and why I wanted to have Chris on the podcast is that they don't just use video to show you how to use the Wistia platform. They don't just use it to show new features or to uh, showcase you know, something they want you to do on the platform or like tutorial style stuff. But what they do really well is they also have good tutorials on just making better videos for the web. And I think that that's kind of what's helped them grow really well is these training videos and tutorials, you know, showcasing how to make better videos for the web. And they've been a big inspiration for me to continually push myself to be making better videos. And, you know, Chris and why I want to have Chris on the show is I met him earlier this year at Wistia Fest and he's just a really talented guy when it comes to video stuff. And he's been a big creative part around all these videos on Wistia over the past few years. And so I want to have Chris on to pick his brain about, you know, his process for how he plans videos, works through what uh, the video should be about, you know, who on the Wistia team should actually be in the video and, you know, just some overall thought process on why video is important and, you know, some of his tips and tricks, specifically one tip of his, uh, which is putting your hand in front of the camera. And we talk about that uh, in this interview that's actually really helped me for some of the videography work that I do. So I'm excited to share this conversation I had with Chris and uh, I'll see you on the other side of it. All right. So Chris, how long have you been making videos? Like what, what were some of the first videos that you ever made? Oh man, first videos I ever made. So I, we're, we're going to go in the way back machine right now and go to like <laughs> elementary school. Uh, those are the videos that, you know, I was, I would make a video for a for a school project and get like the easy a, uh, just for attempting to do anything. Uh, did, you, so, did your parents have a video camera or something? Yeah. My parents had, um, a Sony eight millimeter camera. Um, they were always like pretty advanced with cameras. So they had a little handy cam that I would grab. And, uh, I remember doing a lot of like stop motion type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I started like teaching myself tape, tape editing. So going from the camera onto a VHS and, um, and then when I hit middle school, I was able to grab like a titler, a video titler. Then I, then I, all my friends started pinging me for video help and I would be the guy to go to if you wanted an A on your project. You <laughs> Is video. it because you didn't want to write or anything? You like, yeah, you were of course. Trying to use it as like a way to not have to like write a book report. Yeah. Writing's the worst. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, it was, it was just, uh, you know, really fun. Uh, you know, I kind of joke about, you know, the easy a, but it was just a way more fun medium. And I just gravitated towards that more than, you know, drawing or, or writing or, uh, or speaking or anything like that. And so how did that then translate into wanting to do it, you know, like as a career, like you're doing it now? Um, so in high school, I kind of, uh, started honing more of my skills with nonlinear editing. I remember the first time I ever saw iMovie, it was at Sears on an iMac. And that was my first experience with nonlinear editing. And it just Mm -hmm. blew me away. So I was able to save up enough money for a computer, 
save up enough money for a DV camera. My first DV camera was a Sony, a used Sony VX1000. Uh, and um, the guy that sold me that camera was from LA and he sent me a pirated version of Final Cut Pro that <laughs> I, I taught myself. Um, so I just started making videos there. I started shooting weddings to keep paying for my addiction to video, to keep buying more and more gear. So in high school, I was shooting weddings. And at the end of high school, it seemed natural to go to school for video production. So uh, I ended up at Ithaca College in upstate New York and uh, continued to hone the, hone the craft there. It's funny how many people, because I've shot some weddings too, it's funny how many people have dabbled in it, at least a little bit. Like, I don't know yeah. if people, it's just... It just comes from friends are getting married and they don't have a video person or <laughs> if it's like the money angle because, you know, like it's at least going to start at a decent amount of money to do yeah. it. But then it's yeah. so much work, too. Exactly. And like, you know, the whole the whole thing of uh, only having one shot uh, at some of this stuff, like shooting events and a wedding is like the 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 event in somebody's life where you only have one shot to capture the vows and one right, shot right. to capture the dance. And that is like. Uh, that, Super stressful, that, yeah. It's very stressful, right? But it, I mean, it's an awesome way to build your build your um, your experience, build your like client relationship building skills. Um, and m- in my case, it was the way that I was able to afford better gear. It was just you know scraping it scraping it out and doing uh, doing weddings uh, for the cheap. Yeah, and so do you still do freelance stuff on the side as well as stuff for Wistia? Yep. So um, I started with Wistia basically as a contractor. Um, we started with kind of like a retainer thing where they were bringing me in for five days a month um, after the first video I did for them on spec, which was totally free. Um, so uh, I, uh, as I developed more and more uh, responsibilities at Wistia and eventually came on full time, um, I have still reserve some availability for outside work. But, uh, you know, I have the luxury now of like choosing the projects that I want to work on outside of Wistia. And a lot of those honestly are, I'm gravitating more towards the free ones that are um, just like exciting uh, creatively um, because, you know, shooting for Wistia, although we are, we try to push the boundaries with video, you're still shooting inside four walls of an office, shooting the same people that are, you know, the same, uh, you know, the same type of relationships that you have. So, you know, breaking out of there is very, as, as a, like a filmmaker, as a, as a creative uh, kind of person, I, I, it's really like a breath of fresh air to kind of shoot anything outside of here. Yeah. And so I've seen some of your videos from trips you've taken, like to Italy and stuff like that. What do you use when you're traveling to not uh, like bring all of your gear because I've traveled to Italy also and like between cobblestones and trains and everything like that. Like, how do you stay light when you're traveling and shooting those kinds of videos? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of your uh, it's it's kind of your preference for and, and the reason for which you're taking a camera. Right. So like um, for me, for my personal vacation videos, um where I still maintain that video is the best way to remember a vacation like that. Um, it's less about, you know, beautiful, um, time-lapse shots, slider shots, like crazy, like interesting rack focuses where you'd actually need like fast lens, a tripod, a slider, all this, all this stuff. It's more about like 
kind of finding that moment and, and capturing it, even if it's shaky or handheld. So my mentality when I'm going um, on my vacation videos is to, is to grab a relatively wide lens um, and know that I'm going to be shooting handheld. So for me, um, when I went to Italy, I packed my 5D Mark III with a 40 millimeter pancake, which is like the travel setup, in my opinion. So small, um, so lightweight, so unassuming. Um, and then I think I threw a 24 to 105 in there um, just in case, but I barely ever took that, that lens out just because it was heavier and it just made the camera uh, footprint a little bit bigger. Um, and then I, I always travel with the GoPro too, just because if there are some times where I just don't even want to take my 5D with me, if that's how light I want to go. So I'll just roll GoPro naked uh, without any mounts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just straight up GoPro uh, with like the waterproof case and just shoot it, shoot stuff handheld. Yeah. And you just based on a lot of the things I've seen at Wistia that, you know, you're responsible for and you're putting together you do a lot of handheld stuff. Do you have any tips for making handheld footage usable? Yeah, I mean, um, the world like, is... Do you use, like, image-stabilizing lenses ever, or...? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> shooting handheld, I, I, the, if you treat the world as your tripod, it starts to help. So you, I lean on anything that I possibly can um, that'll help stabilize my body, um, uh, to just to grab like kind of a pickup shot. I do love the 24 to 105 because of the image stabilizer. Um, I moved from the 24 to 70 2.8, which is a better lens for all intents and purposes. Right, it's right. better glass. It's, um, it's a, a, a faster lens. So you're going to get better low light, better, uh, bokeh. But, um, the, the, I would sacrifice that, uh, for the image stabilizer time and time again for video purposes, um, so the, I mean, the tip that I found with the 24 to 105 is it's great for shooting handheld, shooting on a monopod, um, not great for shooting on a tripod. So like whenever it's on a tripod and a locked shot, or you're doing like a slow pan or tilt or something, um, I always shut the, the, the stabilizer off on that. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we shoot a reasonable amount of stuff handheld here and, um, a lot of our reasoning for that is uh, around the look and feel of our videos to try to make it seem even more in, like personal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like the the locked off tripod shots or slider shots just kind of make it seem a little bit forced or and not super personal. So I, I mean, again, it's kind of a creative decision where you're sacrificing, you know, the a beautifully stable shot for. Um, something that's a little bit shakier, a little bit more jarring, but like way more personal uh, and way more indicative of how like a human interaction would, would be. Yeah. And I think that one thing that you do really well is the number of edits in a video, like the number of cuts between things and the speed at which those happen. And I think that because of the speed of the cuts that you're doing and how, how many there are and how quickly they happen, the fact that maybe a shot's not very stable or is a little shaky, I don't think is noticeable. It's like when it's a five or 10 second shot that's shaky or something like that. And then you try to stabilize and there's all these warping effects. Like that's, that's when it gets to be a problem in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, that's a really, uh, that's a really good point. And I guess, uh, 
that's not really, I guess it's not intentional, but maybe it is. That could just be like kind of a gut thing at this point mm-hmm. where you just get a feeling for like when a shot is hanging too long and that could be, be for a bunch of different reasons. It could be because of where it lies in the music, could be because of what's happening on screen. It also could be like a giveaway that like, oh, like whenever you're calling attention of the viewer that, Hey, like this guy shooting handheld, that's, that's a no, no. So yeah, yeah, that could, that could have a lot of influence over why we, why we choose to cut so, so quickly with a lot of that stuff. That's a great point. Where did you pick up like that kind of style? Like the really quick edits, is it just from watching a lot of other people making videos or do you think you kind of developed that on your own? Uh, I don't think I've, developed anything on my own ever. <laughs> uh, I think that's the reality of anybody that is picking up a camera um, that hasn't lived, you know, under a rock. Um, your influences come from everywhere. And I think it's some influences are easier to track down than others. Um, for this one, man, I really don't know. It might be a music video influence. I am, if like, you know anything about me, I am like obsessed with music videos. I love music videos and uh, I have for a long time. And it, it probably comes from being like part of that music video MTV generation of, of quick cuts. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I don't, I don't exactly know where that came from really. No, I think, I think music videos would be a really <coughs> big source for that though, because of how many cuts there are between them, because the beat of the music drives the videos a lot too. So it's, like almost every downbeat, there's a cut a lot of times in music videos. And so that, that's that got to be one of them. Um, yeah. And I think like one of the things I'm still trying to figure out and get a good barometer on is like when to cut on the beat and when not to cut on the beat. And right. the, Italy, the Italy video <clears throat> um, was one of the ones that I was like, I was starting to try to not cut on the beat. And I'm like really trying to pay attention to a lot of music videos because when you just cut on a beat, it becomes predictable. And it's like almost like Mickey Mousing where um, it's like it just becomes campy and hokey um, as opposed to like actually communicating some type of emotion that you want to communicate and like having each edit be motivated. So that's something that I'm thinking about that, again, is like it's hard to teach or it's hard to like kind of quantify. It's just something you got to feel, I guess. Yeah. Do you have any other tips for while you're doing the edit? Do you... I know that you guys have talked about you put your hand over the camera when there's a good take. And you said you got that from skateboarding videos, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that's an old skateboarding trick. Uh, that that is like a that's a that is one of the best camera tricks I think I've ever learned. And that saved me a ton of time with editing, just as it saved skateboarders a ton of time with uh, with their editing. You know, a skateboarder would be. Uh, trying a trick over and over again, trying to do like whatever a kickflip off of a rail, off of like a, a giant skyscraper or whatever. Um, they do that like 40 times and, and keep fa- falling, keep falling, keep falling. So like the camera guy has all this footage. Uh, and then when that skateboarder actually lands the, the take or lands, lands the trick, then the camera person knows that that's the good take and they'll put his lens or their, their hand over the lens and roll for like maybe five seconds. So when you're scrubbing through footage, when you see the hand over the lens, um, you know that that's a good take. But so like my, my philosophy, my philosophy on that, um, trick is it only works, uh, in certain, or it doesn't work in some situations. It works in a lot of situations, but it doesn't work in situations where you're working with, um, 
when you're working with something that's unscripted with somebody in front of the camera that you're not like uber comfortable with. So for example, um, Wistia videos, like 95% of them are scripted. Um, and I have good relationships with everybody that's on camera because I work with them. I see them, see them every day. They get it. I don't have any problem with when they nail a take, I'll put my hand over the lens. When they don't nail a take, I don't put my hand over the lens, but they don't get freaked out by that because they know we'll do it until we get a good take. Mm -hmm. When I'm shooting a testimonial with somebody or I'm shooting, you know, somebody, maybe even a scripted video that's not super comfortable in front of the camera, maybe it's their first time on the camera. Um, if you start putting your hand in front of the lens on good takes, they're going to say, Hey, what, what, what are you doing there? Then you have to say, Oh, you know, this is marking a good take or whatever. Um, and then they're going to have, if you don't do it, then they're going to be like, like, Oh, "Oh, I'm no good. (laughs) Exactly. Oh God, I'm doing a bad job. I just know it. This is really bad. They're going to start sweating. And then, you know, that I've, I've, I've learned that one the hard way, but. And so you do use a lot of different people in your Wistia videos. How many people do you have at Wistia now? Over 20 that work there? Yeah, we're uh, we're pushing 32 now, which is and, pretty awesome. I mean, you just did uh, a video at a roller skating rink where pretty much everybody was in that video, but you also have a lot of you know people coming on camera and talking in videos. So what do you do to make them feel comfortable or act more natural if, if they're not already? Um, you know, we try to be cognizant of somebody's comfort level uh when we are casting videos we call it casting but like when you're choosing who's going to be in a video or um you know basically the short story is to try to not be so long-winded on this uh we try to wean people in front of the camera like wean people from like just try to ease people into being on camera so for example uh somebody new joins the company um we think they would be a great candidate for this video for whatever reason. Maybe it, they built this piece of the product or they were contributed to whatever blog posts that were having this video in. Um, there's a good reason for them to be in this video. Um, we'll give them a line or a part in that video that's as low risk as possible um, just to kind of get their feet wet in front of the camera. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as they graduate from that, you know, little, little line into like more, um, more lines and, and more bigger parts and videos, I think just keeping, keeping the environment as light as possible and trying to develop trust that we got your back. And as a video, as the video producer and the video editor, like I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to make you look like an idiot. I'm going to make you look as best as I possibly can. Um, and once you have that trust and it's kind of easy for me now because, um, people see our videos and they know that, oh, Hey, like these are normal people and no, they don't look like, like Jim Oaks on camera. Um, you know, that is, I, I have that trust with a lot of people kind of instantly, but it's something that like you have to trust the director and as the director, you have to build the trust. Yeah, exactly. And with that, do you how do you how do you cast how do you choose the best person for each video um so this this is not not really a science here um and a quick side note is like again because wisty is so bought into the idea of using video and making video um it becomes way easier to pull people out of what they're doing 
and ask them to be in front of the camera for a video. And that is really awesome. That's something that's like really, really rewarding about being an in-house videographer at a company where like you don't have to sell somebody that's like deep into writing code or deep into like the support inbox to be in front of the camera. Like they want to be in front of the camera because they know the power of video and they know that um, like whatever we make is, is going to like reach a, a bunch of people. Um, so that's really awesome. But uh, that's kind of not really your question. Your question was <laughs> how do we cast? So um, for launch videos, for about specific product, um, we try to involve heavily the, whoever, is in, whoever was like heavily involved in that product, right? So um, for our move and copy launch, uh, James was the engineer on that project. He was the project lead on that. And so he was the kind of the voiceover um, of the video. Uh, you know, turnstile names, Ryan built that um, pro- that feature. And so we got him to be like, to play this like magician character mm-hmm. and, um, and contribute to that product launch video. Um, and, and like some of the other videos where it's like a learning center video, it's, 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 we try to keep it as um, close to the people that are close to the video with the script. Uh, or the idea generation of this video. Um, and then for other videos where it's not so centric around like a product or, or like an idea of somebody's idea, we try to just kind of keep it as um, diverse as possible with our, the people that are here. We want to try to filter in people that haven't been on video in uh, to the videos as much as possible, um, just because it's kind of a fun way for us as a company to continue to share who we are as a company. Like in, when we're a bunch of individuals, we're not just, you know, um, this corporate entity We're we're a corporate entity made of humans. And we want to take every opportunity to, um, show everyone on our videos who works here. Yeah. And I think that's something that you guys do the best out of any company that I've seen is having so many people in the videos. It makes you feel like, you know, the company better. And then, you know, when I either interact on social media with any of them or on your guys's forum, or when I came to Wistia Fest, you just feel like, you know, all these people. And I felt like I knew half the company, like, and I never actually met anyone just because so many people are on video and everything. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, that's like, that is very intentional. And it's, it's us just trying to be ourselves, but it's also furthering one of our missions at, at Wistia, which is to um, help more businesses become more human and be comfortable with being themselves. And we think that video is, is the best medium or the, the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I want to switch gears a little bit to some more technical things. Yeah. When you have a room with a lot of echo, I know that you guys have built a couple studios at Wistia, um, one in your old office and one in your current one. Yep. And when I was there, you you showed me some of the things that you've done to the room to you know add some sound dampening. So what are those things? And then kind of like, where do you put them? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> this is the Wistia studio in our new office was very similar to the Wistia studio in our old office, which is just a room. So it's four walls. Um, it's not like, you know, this crazy sound stage or anything like that. It's just but brick because it's, or drywall. 
Yeah, there one wall's brick, three walls are drywall, and then there's a, a hard um, like linoleum floor. So um, that meant that there was a ton of reflection, audio reflection in the room. So the first thing I did was to just go to Home Depot and buy <laughs> what ended up being like one of the uglier carpets uh, available <laughs> um, and just throwing down a carpet uh, underneath the, the studio setup. And that helped minimize some of the reflections that are bouncing off the floor. Um, but then we have these, these sound dampening panels from Acoustamac. Um, they're like, uh, I want to say like two feet by four feet. And we hung some of those on the walls. And basically tr- your goal is to try to catch um, any area where your sound waves are going to reflect. Oops, somebody's calling me. Um, any areas that are going to reflect um, the person's voice on screen. So we have two of those sound panels on the wall immediately to the right of our studio setup. And then we basically have a couple more of those sound panels that we um, throw down in front of our light stands. And they're black, so they don't reflect any light, too. But that helps to control um, the uh, the reverb uh, without, like, breaking the bank. I mean, these panels are maybe, like, 50 bucks each or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're modular, so, like... You know, you can pop them off the wall. You can throw them on the ground. You can move them into a different room if you want to shoot in a different room. Um, and uh, you know, we're we're kind of we have the luxury of having a dedicated room that we can uh, give to a studio setup like that. But I know a lot of companies don't have that. So uh, in that case, it would be just bringing in blankets, couch pillows, um, even some of these sound dampening panels, and just kind of trying to get them around your your uh, audio video setup uh, as best as possible and you guys also record a lot outside of the studio though in your office all over the place you know at people's desks um you do like the mod minute thing uh which is pretty much weekly i think um, yep. for the forum and that's out in the open you know you guys don't have cubicles it's just open open floor plan what do you do to like you just like tell everyone, Hey, we're recording a video, wear headphones for a bit or like, how does that work? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And again, this is like, we, we are, we're the luckiest video team because everyone's so bought into video that we can ask them just like we can ask them to stop what they're working on and get in front of the camera for a video. We can ask them to, you know, Hey, uh, we're shooting this video for the next 20 minutes. If you could just keep your conversations to a minimum. And, you know, there invariably are some external sounds that come out, um, you know, light conversation or or maybe a door closing or whatever. Um, For the most part, we kind of let that stuff slide because the shot allows for it. It's not, um, you know, we're not shooting in out in the open in front of a white piece of paper where like this external sound would be so jarring. It's like, where's this sound coming from? No, we're shooting outside of the off, uh, outside in the, in the wild, we call it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the, in the general area of the office, but you see that there are other people walk working in the background, maybe walking in and out of frame. And that makes some of those external, uh, ambient noise, um, that makes some of that actually motivated and acceptable. And the viewer doesn't even really question it. Awesome. And can you give me a couple of your favorite go-to pieces of gear? Um, You know, they don't have to be like the main things like cameras or microphones, but any like small little additional things that help you make it, make the videos or on shoots. Uh, let's see. 
Man, I love, I'm really loving these Westcott ice lights, little LED lightsaber type lights. They're like 400 bucks, they're battery powered, um, and they're dimmable, which is sweet. They're daylight balanced. They have little barn door attachments. Those things are sick um, just because of how portable they are, and you can just like grab a quick shot by you know asking somebody to hold this thing um, just for like a B-roll shot. They're really sweet. That's awesome. Um, obviously, gaff tape is a huge one. Uh, I love um, trying to rig weird camera setups, and um, and gaff tape is just like obviously an essential piece for any video person. Um, most recently, I'm loving the DJI Ronin uh, camera stabilizer. Uh, it's like three grand. It's like, like the Movi competitor, mm-hmm. um, the brushless um, stabilizer. That thing has enabled a lot of interesting uh, camera moves that we would have never been able to get otherwise, you know, without buying a crazy steady cam rig. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, oh, you know what else I really love uh, that I didn't have on that roller skating shoe and it, it was brutal not having one are those little um, spring clips. Uh, they're like little jaw, like they look like a little A and they're spring clips. Uh, those things are wildly helpful for, you know, holding a roll of seamless so that it doesn't unfold Mm -hmm. or like putting a reflector on top of a light stand and holding it there. You'd be surprised how many, how many uses those things have. So I always try to roll with a a couple of those things. Yeah. And those are really cheap too. You can just go go to the random aisle in home Depot and get (laughs) a bunch of them for $10. Um, Yeah. Those things are sweet though. I picked up that trick for the paper roll thing when I saw it in your in your guys' studio was clipping them to the bottom of the paper roll so it doesn't, you know, unfurl all the way down or anything. It just holds it in place really well. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened at the roller skating rink. We had this, it was like super muggy in there so the paper wasn't falling right in the first place and we rigged up this Wistia background gray screen of roll of seamless in the middle of a roller skating rink and the paper just kept falling down and we tried to gaff tape it and it like ended up getting all wrinkly. We, we <laughs> lost like an hour just trying to mess with with the paper and had I had one of those clips it would have been totally gravy. Yeah. So last question here, what's one thing about the way people are doing video online right now that maybe you don't agree with? So I'm not sure if this is actually a faux pas or I just think it's something that um video producers maybe aren't quite there yet with and I think it's um being able to build a longer term relationship with a client. And what I mean by that is not being the one-off production company that um, the client comes to you and says, hey, we want to make a new front page video, um, make it awesome. Um, you make the video, it's awesome. And you give them the video file and you say, all right, see you later. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity for video producers right now to be um, the, the video guru or turn themselves and pivot themselves to being video marketers. And building a relationship with uh, their customers and using um, video metrics more than just a play count. This is not necessarily like a huge plug for Wistia, but actually using, mm-hmm. using some of our analytics that can actually prove the value uh, of your video. Um, and by that, you're getting audience engagement, you're getting um, email ad- addresses collected. And so when a video producer can, instead of making that one-off video, when they can make this video, um, help the client embed it on their site with, um, with a professional video hosting company that has like these interesting analytics 
and then check back in to see how the video is doing and offer up suggestions for maybe re-edits, maybe additional content. Um, I think that's where lots of video producers right now are missing this huge opportunity to build um, relationships that would ultimately lead to um, more money, more work, and more success on both parties, right? The company that solicited you, if they are making more informed decisions on on their video strategy and the video producer is the one that's helping with that strategy, that's, that is like a match made in heaven. That's, um, that's really something that, uh, where both people can grow. Yeah. And I completely agree with you on that. When I am, you know, talking to a prospective client or with a current client, you know, sometimes they'll just lean towards, they just want that one video. And I, I almost always try to push them into like, well, what's the long play here? Like, why are you making a single video? Like, should you be making more than one? And I think you would argue with Wistia's success, you guys didn't just make like one tutorial video to like how to make better videos or anything like that. You guys have made a lot of them. And I think it's the breadth of the information and that gives people more ways to find you. I think that many kinds of businesses should look wider when it comes to what kind of videos they can make. Yeah, because I mean, it's not really a one size fits all type thing. Like you're not going to make one perfect front page video and that's it. You can, you know, wipe your hands and, and that's it. You're, you're good to go. Just like what you're doing with DIY video guy. Like you're, you're iterating on your stuff. You're, you're, I'm sure measuring like how people are watching your videos and like, um, what people, what content people are gravitating towards. And that's going to help you make more informed decisions moving forward. Um, I think the video producer should be playing a bigger role with their clients in that. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Chris. Um, Super, super good information. And um, I'm just been a huge fan of you guys at Wistia. And I wanted to get you onto the show to, you know, share some of these behind the scenes stuff and to, you know, even say that you don't, uh, you don't hold back with the slider too is, is, is funny <laughs> to hear. So uh, where can people go to find out more about, uh, you know, some of the freelance stuff you did, the Italy video we talked about, as well as check out some of the stuff you do at Wistia? Um, yeah. So, uh, you can head up uh, wistia.com slash learning uh, for a lot of the learning center stuff we're doing. Um, wistia.com slash blog. And you can search my Italy video there. Uh, I think my Italy video is actually on my website too, crlvideo.com. But uh, yeah, that's like one of the more important videos I've made in the past couple of years, I think. It's, uh, I think taking time to do stuff personally is like wildly, wildly important. Yeah. Well, awesome, Chris. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Levine from Wistia. I highly recommend you go and check out Wistia um, just for their video tutorials about how to make some better web videos. Um, But also, if you're looking for a place to privately host videos, I personally recommend them because I've used them before. And I think that a lot of the things that we talked about in in this interview are really important if you're working with other people on your videos. You know, getting people on board that don't necessarily have to be good on video when you're just starting out, but, you know, getting, if it, even if it has to be friends and families or if it's coworkers, people that want to help you with the videos, because the more people that are in videos, typically there's more energy around them. And I think that, you know, a lot of the thought process and a lot of the creativity that is put into the Wistia videos are really good ones to check out, study what they do, see how quickly they do cuts and edits with them, 
how short the videos, how much you get out of them, and just some of the things they do to help you with retention, like putting things on screen or also having transcripts below the videos in their blog posts. And uh, I just think that Wistia is doing a really good job with their video production and marketing, and it in turn has helped them grow their video hosting business. And so I just want to have Chris on to, to share a little bit about that. So to check out anything that we mentioned in this episode and to see the full show notes with links to any of the equipment, like that 40 millimeter pancake lens that he was talking about for his uh, video of Italy, just go over to diyvideoguide.com slash 14. That's one four. And that'll take you directly to the show notes where you can share this episode, uh, sign up for updates to get more episodes when they come out, as well as video uh, episodes as well. Or you can check out the links to some of the gear and the little uh, equipment things that we mentioned. So I hope you enjoy this episode. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about what software you should use to edit your videos. I'll walk through six of the major ones that I recommend to people. You know, there'll be a couple free options, a couple budget options around the $100 mark, and then a couple of the pro options that I've been using recently for uh, doing my video editing and production work. So uh, look forward to that episode. And then the one after that, I'll be talking with Joey Dello Russo, who used to be the video person at Asana. And we get into really nitty gritty technical things about what it takes to make some really, really good looking, you know, screen recordings and a lot of the extra effort that he put in to make them three-dimensional to have like a little focus and blur effect on them and we get really really technical in that one so i'm excited to share that one there'll be some more advanced stuff in that one as well and just talking through his process from going from film school to then working in the tech industry and some of the some of the challenges and some of the things that he's seen uh, just trend-wise in the tech industry and how that helped him figure out what kind of videos that he should make for companies like Ustream or Asana and working with uh, big name big name brands freelancing wise as well. So with me now working on making um, weekly videos as well as the two episodes of the, of the podcast, um, it's a lot of work to put out this much content. So let me know if you'd prefer to have these solo episodes instead be shorter videos that explain the things more visually, if that's something you'd rather want. Uh, maybe I up the amount of videos I put out a week, maybe that goes to twice a week, or maybe I just spend more time on the one that I put out a week. And then just these interviews, these conversations, maybe these stay in the podcast format. You know, I could, I'm flexible on, on changing and trying stuff out. I wanted to launch with a couple a week and just to see how much work that would take and to get a lot of this information out to you guys as quickly as I can. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you what you think about the solo episodes versus the interview episodes, and as well as the the video shows that I'm putting out. So to give me feedback on these, I mean, you can comment right directly below on the show notes of this episode at the link I mentioned a little bit ago, or, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Caleb Wojcik. It's C-A-L-E-B-W-O-J-C-I-K, or just uh, reply to an email that you get for me if you're on my email list. You know, whatever way is best for you, I just love to hear from you and hear what you think about the different formats of this show as well as the formats for the video show I'm doing. And uh, just excited to hear feedback from you guys and um, even hear what kind of guests you want on. That's helpful as well to hear specifically who you want to see on the show and who can share some of their 
feedback and experience and stuff making videos for the web. So anyone that you look up to video wise on YouTube or Vine or wherever, you know, let me know who they are and I'll see what I can do to get them on the podcast. So thank you for listening to this episode. And if you're going to do it, you might as well do it on video. 